0: hallways of Shedd High School from WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. And we're broadcasting this hour from the Round the World Emporium of Jams and Jellies. We have the distinction of being the only purveyor of preserves and pastries with a dance floor, not to mention being raided by the morality squad on various occasions, but that's just the cost of doing business. This hour we'll be hearing from many satisfied customers and jam and jelly connoisseurs. Case in point, here's a jam and jelly appraisal by those savants of swing, the modernaires, assisted by Glenn Miller and his orchestra. Gene Krupa and his orchestra just had some jam on toast. That repast was experienced in 1938. Before that, the modern airs reasoned that it must be jelly because jam don't shake like that. They were assisted in that evaluation by Glenn Miller and his orchestra. We're broadcasting from the Round the World Emporium of Jams and Jellies. We're proud to offer 1001 flavors of jams and jellies from Zabaglione to Aikihuahua. We'll try to sample as many of these flavors as we can squeeze into an hour, as well as various jelly rolls and other jam and jelly-inspired refreshments. Mary here has decided to try a little 1945 jam. The Five Red Caps will tell the story.
1: Cats were swinging out. Jitterbugs were jumping round, jumping round, jumping round. Jitterbugs were jumping round, and all they'd do is shout.
2: Finally got him. Then she gave a dance serou to
1: show off her new step. Mary and
2: a little Joe, what a chick was Mary.
3: Mary and a little Joe, Ha
1: la la la, ha la la la, don't die.
3: Chitabuns was jumping round, jump jump lo- Cesaro- jumping jump, with the jive boy. Chitabuns was jumping round, treep treep treep
1: treep, don't die.
0: That was Wilbur Sweatman's original 1919 jazz band. I ain't going to give nobody none of this jelly roll. An understandable sentiment. Before that, we heard about Mary, who tried a little jam. Five Red Caps reporting in 1945. A small subset of our 1001 flavors of jams and jellies includes such unusual favorites as black raspberry, cigarette, dandelion, escargot, fruit salad, and something called Garbage In, Garbage Out. Oh, and speaking of jelly rolls, they are on special today. Al Dexter and his 1939 Troopers will elucidate.
4: I love my cream in my coffee, my lemon in my tea, my baby's arms me and love the love my jelly, I love my jelly. I my jelly. Lord, I'm a fool about my nice jelly roll. She shakes it like a jellyfish, she hops like a frog. She's not good-looking, but in hot dog. She loves the jelly, she loves the jelly. Lord, I'm a fool about my nice jelly roll. I called her up this morning, and this is what she said, she wants to come over, just come right ahead. I love my jelly. I love my jelly. Lord, I'm a fool about my nice jelly roll. in the parlor, I love it in the park, I love it in the moonlight, and I love it in the dark. I love my jelly, I love my jelly. Lord, I'm a fool about my night. A king, a, root, a hop, a blown-headed mama to stop my clock. I love my jelly. I love my jelly. Lord, I'm a fool about my night jelly roll.
0: You are listening to WSHDLP Esport, and welcome back to the -the round-the-world Emporium of Jams and Jellies. We just tried the 1937 Rhythm Jam, which was served by Lucky Melinder with Mill's Blue Rhythm Band. Before that, Al Dexter and his 1939 Troopers let us know about the Jelly Roll Special. and The next delicious 1939 Jam flavor we plan to savor will be cooked up by Butch Stone, abetted by Van Alexander and his orchestra. Here is the Jumpin' Jive Jim Jam. Jump.
1: Let me dig that jive some more Boy, oh boy The Jim Jam Jump is the jumping jive Makes you get your kicks on the mellow side Hep, 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 hep The Jim Jam Jump is the solid jive Make you nine foot tall when you're four foot five hep, 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 hep don't be that igaroo. Get hep and follow through. And get your steady fool. Make the joint jump like the gators do. The jim jam Jump is the jump and jive. Make you like you'll break on the jersey side. Hep, hep. Hep, hep. Jim jam jump and jive. Makes you hep, hep, hep on the mellow side. my shallow, my swanee shore. Let me dig that jive some more. Boy! Yeah! Oh boy. Talk to me. The Jim Jam Jump is the jumper jive. Make sure you get your kicks on the mellow side. Hep, hep. Hep, hep. The Jim Jam Jump is the solid jive. Make you nine foot tall when you're four foot five. Hep, hep. Hep, hep. That echo through, boy, get hep and follow through and get your standing food. Make the joint jump like the gators do. The jim jump jump is the jump and jive. Make sure like your brakes on the jersey side. Hep hep. Hep hep. Jim jump jump and jive. Makes sure, you hep, hep 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 on the mellow side. Oh boy. The rest of the day, 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 the
5: rest of the day, the 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 rest of the rest of the day, the rest of the day, the
0: 1947 jam session at Victor. That was Jack Teagarden's Big Eight. This was preceded by the Jump and Jive Jim Jam Jump, in which Butch Stone was attended by Van Alexander and his orchestra in 1939. It's a good thing they outlawed indoor smoking. This jam and jelly emporium used to be blue with smoke. You'd spend an evening here dancing off all the good pastries and preserves and jelly rolls and go home stinking like a chimney and coughing and hacking. Not like today. Hey, next I think we should try the low-cal, fat-free Slim's Jam. Slim Gaylord and his orchestra are the servers. Look
6: yeah, at Zooty in this door with his brushes. What's he know, Papa? Look at this cat here. Here's a suitcase there. That's a kill. Beat on that one. What's oh, up door, Richard? Well, look at here. Well, here's Jack McBouty in his tenor. Well, say, how about blowing some, man? Got the next call. All right, that's great. Take it. You got it. <laughs> Say, you better bring me a double order of Ritifutis with a little hot sauce on it. That'll just about fix it. Oh, well, here's it. Here. Well, look at Charlie Yard, boy, how's it going, Joe? Oh, everything is mellow, man. Look at this guy. Get his horn with the Blow yeah, I got some? I my horn with me, man. I want to blow some. Yeah, I'm um, got to read? Yeah. Well, my Voucher's got to read, he can trim it down a little. That's great? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Well, that's great. solid then. Well, let's get together and blow. Win A flat. Take the next one. You got it. Okay. All right. <laughs>
0: tried some of that Slim's Jam, developed by Slim Gaylord and his 1945 Orchestra, and that led right into Kansas City Frank Melrose and his 1929 Jelly Roll Stomp. We are grateful to today's sponsor, the Sentient Fridge Container. Have you ever had a culinary experiment turn into a science experiment because you forgot about it in the fridge? Do you feel guilty every time you wind up throwing food away in spite of your best intentions? Perhaps it's time to invest in the sentient fridge container. This handy receptacle, which comes in three sizes, will sense when your food has languished too long in the back of the fridge and is starting to feel neglected. When you open your fridge door, a friendly reminder will let you know that we're having leftovers for dinner tonight. You can choose between a guilt-inducing voice message, it's a sin to waste food, or a standard fire alarm and strobe light. Pick up a sentient fridge container today. Now let's sample one of the jam flavors we mentioned earlier. Here is Fats Waller with some 1937 black raspberry jam. Boys, we
7: a here to get a like jam here, something like that. I don't know what it is. I got mine. See, mine's black raspberry. Look out here too. Yes, wait a minute
3: now. Here's me. I'm getting mine now. Let's find Arabian jam. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mr. Jelly, slide. That uplifting 1929 exhortation was provided by Fess Williams and his Royal Flush Orchestra. Before that, we taste-tested the black raspberry jam cooked up by Fats Waller at his 1937 rhythm. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport, and we are broadcasting this hour from the -the round-the-world emporium of jams and jellies. One thousand and one flavors, including kumquat, Lobster, Millet, and Nervous Nelly. Ruth Gaylor is here with Hal McIntyre and his orchestra. She's in a 1944 jam with Baby. a 1938 slow jam fizz. One of the multitude of jam and jelly flavors featured this hour. We heard Buster Bailey and his Rhythm Busters, and this was preceded by Ruth Gaylor with Hal McIntyre and his 1944 orchestra. I'm in a jam with Baby. We don't have time to relate all 1001 of the jam and jelly flavors we keep in stock here at our Emporium, so I'll just tell you a few of my personal favorites. I love the oatmeal jam, the pomegranate, something called red herring, and the sweet and sour sardine. Okay, it's time for our patrons to get back out on the dance floor. Here's a 1949 slow dance as we hear from another rabid fan of jelly, Viola Watkins with Jelly and Bread.
8: Just listen to my true confession. I have such crazy obsession. What set my heart on fire? It's my one desire. Give me some jelly bread. My favorite spread. Juicy and tender and solid. sender. You heard what I said Give me some jelly and bread Well there's a delight In every bite Don't feel right Lest I have it each night Before I go to bed Give me some jelly and bread It's so nice Baby Try a little slice There's no substitute That will suffice Cut it thin Cut it thick Is this sticky stuff But I can't get enough Oh, jelly and bread Goes to my head I told my mother I don't need butter Give me a stand some of that jelly bread substitutes that was spice. Won't you cut it?
0: is in a jam. That was Duke Ellington in his famous orchestra in 1938. Before that, Viola Watkins extolled the virtues of jelly and bread in 1949. And let's wind up our jam and jelly-a-thon here at our Emporium of Preserves by tipping our hat to one of the bakers behind the scenes. Here's Lonnie Johnson in 1942. He's a jelly roll baker.
3: be your players When Gabriel blows his trumpet And I rise from my grave But some of your Good cellar Crazy about that Good cellar Yes, it's good For the sick Good for the young and old I was sentenced from murder In the first degree Judge's wife called up and said, let that man go free. He's a jelly roll bigger. i Gotta have my delay.
0: Jam-a-ditty, Duke Ellington and his orchestra from 1949, and before that, Lonnie Johnson in 1942. He's a jelly roll baker. And this concludes the musical offerings of our Emporium of Jams and Jellies. We believe our establishment is the only one of its kind, specializing in fine gourmet preserves and pastries in over a thousand flavors and providing a dance floor to our customers to allow them to work off their gourmandizing. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now, let's relax while we listen to a gripping 1948 episode of Escape, entitled The Match. So let's listen.
9: fighting your way through a frozen wilderness. Torn by the icy blast of an arctic blizzard and driving you on towards certain death is a man with a gun from whom you cannot escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to the Canadian North Woods, to a lonely wilderness where justice finds strange paths. As James Oliver Kerwood told it in his famous story, The Match.
2: Just below the Arctic Circle, where blizzards scream in the winter and tear frozen branches from the pine trees, where the driven sleet cuts human skin like flying glass, there men know and fear the eternal spirit of the icy north, the great cold spirit that weaves the patterns of human destiny, both weaves and destroys. Forever and again, the spirit throws out strange swirls of chance and coincidence that meet eventually in a terrible whirlpool which swallows up the old pattern and creates some new and different one for men to wonder and marvel at. One such swirl in time and space began months ago and far to the south in a logging camp near the southern border of Canada where two men faced each other on a narrow trail in the light of a full moon. It began in violence and hatred.
9: What do you want, Loring? Thorn.
7: I've been talking to Jeannie. She told me what you did.
9: Well, what about it? She told me all of it, the whole thing. Mm, too bad, Loring. But if you can't keep your wife from casting her eye around, then that's your tough luck. There were no eyes cast around, and you know it. All right, then. What are you going to do about it? I'm not sure yet. Then I'll tell you. Nothing. You haven't got a leg to stand on. I'm running this camp and every man in it. And if you don't like what I do, then get out. I'm planning to stay. In that case, you'd better get used to the way I run things. Men and women. And the next time I drop in... Why, you dirty... That's it, eh? Well, then... Drop
5: that
7: knife, Thorn. Drop it! Get up, Thorn. Come on, get up on your feet. Get up, Thorn. What's the matter with you? Thorn. Thorn. That rock under his head. He's... He's dead. Jeannie. Billy.
10: Billy, what's wrong?
7: Jeannie, I ran into Thorne a few minutes ago.
10: Oh, Billy. Your hand. What did you do?
7: I hit him, Jeannie. He started to pull a knife, so I knocked him down. His head hit a rock when he fell. He's dead.
10: No, Oh, no. They
7: probably won't find oh. Thorne till morning, so I've got to get out of here in the next half hour. Oh, Leave? I'm new here. Jeannie, they don't know me. It's just my word. I wouldn't have a chance. Where we go? Not you. You're going to take the baby and go back to the cottage in New York State. But,
10: but where are you planning to go? North,
7: honey. A long ways north. I'll have a better chance up there in the woods.
10: They'll catch you, Billy. They always do.
7: Don't worry. They won't catch me. And somehow, sooner or later, we're going to be back together again. Believe me. Believe <laughs> me.
2: And so in the south, one black swirl of chance is born and moves slowly northward through time and space. Moves even as the great arctic storms move across the faces of continents. And there ahead of it, among the tumbled ridges of spruce and pine, another swirl of human fate moves at the whim of the bleak spirit of that frozen land. Moves first one way, Then another, but centers always near one certain red-coated uniform of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Centers on the hard, lean figure of a man called Sergeant Brokaw. (laughs) Nice shot, Sergeant. Thanks,
7: Trooper. The captain sent me to... Wait, there's one more target still up out there.
9: (laughs) Dead center. Brother, I wish I could shoot like that.
7: Work on it. Good shooting. something you'll need if you stay in the Mounties.
9: I guess it's helped you plenty of times.
7: Yeah, a few. What have you got there, a telegram? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, it's an
9: order the captain told me to bring out to you.
4: Here. Mm.
7: Let's see. Special assignment for apprehension and return of a fugitive. Name, Billy Loring. Height, 5 feet, 11 inches, weight, and so on and so on. Last seen near Hobbs Landing on October 3rd and reported heading north. Wanted for murder. Sergeant Brokaw signed. Instruction... Bring back fugitive. They make it sound plenty
9: simple, Sergeant. Bring back fugitive.
7: That's just the way it ought to sound. When you're assigned to bring a man in, you bring him in. That's all there's to it. There's no excuse and no alibi for not doing it. You can take my word on it, Trooper. I've been doing it for 12 years. And so far, you've never
9: missed getting your
7: man? Not so far, not ever. When I go after a man, I'm going to get him. Sooner or later. And one way or another, I'm going to bring him back. Every time. Every time. And that goes for this, what's-his-name, Loring. You can bet your life on it.
2: And so they grew in time and space, these two great swirls of chance. The one hovering in the north and the other moving toward it slowly across a 1,000 miles and through 227 days. And one night at last, they met in a tiny, raw pine cabin hidden in the blizzard-frozen marsh hard up against the Arctic Circle. And the wild whirlpool, born from that meeting, created strange, new patterns of human life and death and destiny. All right, Loring.
7: Let's have your other wrist. And there. You don't need these handcuffs. You've got me, that's that. I don't take chances, Loring. You know it already, of course, but you're under arrest in the name of the Crown for murder. You can sit down in that chair by the stove. Thanks. It's funny, I've lived here all winter and I've had pretty good luck trapping. I've been selling first to the Indians. In another month, I'd have had enough to go away and meet my wife. Then you come along. Tough luck, Loring. We'll start back for the post in the morning. Or at least as soon as this blizzard lets up. That'll be three days. It always is. What's your name? Brokaw. Sergeant Brokaw. That's kind of funny, somehow, today being the day you found me. Glad I did. I hate to be camping out in that blizzard tonight. Uh... What's so funny about today? It's her birthday. I mean, my wife, Jeannie. Here, let me show you. Hold it, Loring. Oh, no, 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 no. It's all right. It's just her photograph. Here, let me unwrap it. See? Mm, She's a pretty girl. Yeah, that and everything else, Sergeant. You married? No. That's some of her hair. That curl that's pinned to the picture. Yeah. Red, isn't it? It's like red gold. We got married on her birthday. So today's our wedding anniversary, too. She wanted it that way. She said the best things in her life always happened on her birthday. Yeah, well... Yeah, I... I guess it was crazy. But I was so happy when I got up this morning about what day it was and only two months to go and all. I put two places at the breakfast table and I propped her picture up by one of them. I sat there talking to her while we ate together. (laughs) I guess you get like that up here alone I haven't seen a white man for three months I had a little dog for a while but he he died about six weeks ago and there wasn't any chance to get another one Jeannie always liked dogs dogs and kids you don't mind my talking this way do you sergeant it kind of helps I don't mind why should I? Well, the thing is, we've always been so blamed crazy about each other. We'd never been apart until this came up. And then we had to be. And in another month or two, we'd, we'd have been back together. It's your own fault, Loring. It's not my concern. My job is to find you and bring you in. I've done part of that, and I will do the rest of it. Maybe so. I warn you right now, Sergeant, I'll make it as tough for you as possible. I'm going to get away if I can. You see, I promised her that we'd be together again. It's up to you, Loring. But if you start to play rough, I can play a whole lot rougher. One way or another, I'm going to bring you in to stand trial. And there's nothing can stop me. Maybe so, Sergeant. You see, I'm probably the hardest man in the whole Royal Canadian Mounted, Loring. And that's your hard luck, too. Because you might have softened up another man with that stuff you were telling. You think that's why I talked about it? I don't know, and I don't care. The only thing that matters is that I've got a job to do. I always have done it, and I'm going to do it this time. You can depend on that. I guess duty's a big part of your life. Not a big part of it, Loring. It's all of it. Now, if you don't mind, I've come 15 miles through the snow today. Last five against the blizzard. I'm tired. Let's turn in. All right, Sure. You can take the bunk. Leave your clothes on. Is it all right if I get that photograph off the table? Go ahead. All right. Put your feet together. Huh? What's the chain for? Another reason to call me hard. I'm going to padlock it around your ankles. <laughs> you are cautious. That's that's right, Laurie. <clears throat> there. Call out if you want anything in the night. If you try to get up without calling, I'll kill you. I'll sleep here in the chair. And this gun happens to be cocked. Thanks for warning me. Good night, Sergeant. Good night. By the way, Sergeant Brokaw... Yeah? It's too bad you never got married. Why? Why? Because when you go to sleep, you've nobody to dream about.
10: Billy. Billy, darling. Can you hear me? Yes,
11: Jeannie.
7: Yes, darling.
10: Never mind the blizzard. It doesn't matter. We've been in storms before.
7: Yes, I remember.
10: And today's my birthday. And also the day we were married. Nothing can really hurt us. Everything's going to be all right.
7: Yes, Jeannie. Yes, everything is going to be all right.
10: Billy. Yes, Jeannie. Remember one time in the fall, we built a bonfire and roasted ears of corn. That was in the field back of the cottage.
7: Oh, yes, 2 years ago. That was on your birthday too. Yes.
10: Yes. And do you remember how the smoke would always get in your eyes and how it would follow you around and and make you cough and sneeze?
7: Sure, I remember.
10: <laughs> remember the smoke Billy? The smoke.
5: Sure, Billy. I remember. Billy. The smoke. <coughs> the smoke. Mm.
7: What? Smoke. The cabin's on fire. Sergeant. Yeah. Sergeant Brokaw. Yeah. Wake up. The cabin's on fire. Good Lord. Will you get this chain off my feet? I can't walk.
11: No time. The whole roof's on fire. Here. Yeah. I'll carry it. Yeah.
6: Smoke. Can't see the door. Yeah. Oh, oh, here it is. <sighs> yeah, looks like
7: we made it. Thanks, Sergeant. I gotta get back in there. All
12: our stuff's in there. You can't
5: make it.
7: There goes the roof. I guess you know the spot we're in, Loring. Yes, I know. Our heavy coats, mittens, snowshoes, and all of our food is burning up inside there. And it's 40 below, and the blizzard's just starting. Here, you can't lie there in the snow. I'll get that chain off your ankles. There you are. Thanks, Sergeant. What about the handcuffs? Hey, stay on, Loring. Are you crazy? What difference does it make? We haven't a chance. You know that as well as I do. Yeah, I know. We couldn't be any worse off. We don't even have a match. I saw you fill your case and put it in your coat. It's inside there. We don't even have a match. I know that, Loring. And I know everything else you're going to tell me. If you don't have enough clothes to keep us from freezing to death. If we stay here and keep the fire going, we'll starve. It's 60 miles to the nearest post and 20 miles to Thoreau's, the next cabin down the trail. We might make 10 miles if we're lucky. More likely five. That's right. So why the handcuffs? You've been living up here for three months, Loring. I've got an idea. You probably know some cabin a lot closer than Thoreau's. Some Indian or a trapper. Maybe not more than two or three miles away. You want to start breaking trail? Well, suppose I did. What of it? Something good has always happened to me on Jeannie's birthday, and I think it has this time, Sergeant. It's a lot easier to freeze to death than to go back and die the way I'd be doing it. So... So it's like that. It's like that. Unless you want to make a deal. What kind of a deal? Take off these cuffs, give me that revolver, and I'll get you out of this. There's a cabin, all right. Sorry, Loring. No deal. You're a fool, Brokaw. I got nothing to lose, but you're just tossing your life away. How about it? We'll take turns breaking trail. You can lead off first. We may as well start. Where? Toros, of course. 20 miles. (laughs) Why don't we sit down and freeze to death here instead of five miles from here? Because I'll be five miles closer to bringing you in. Come on. You're a fool, Sergeant. You're beaten. You know it. Why don't you give in? Come on, Loring. Let's get going. How far do you think we've come by now? I don't know. Let's rest for a minute. Yeah, I'm pretty winded myself. Five miles, you think? I'd say about four. Sixteen more to Thoreau's. Think we'll make it, Sergeant? We'll try it. we only had some way of building fires, we could stop and get warm once in a while. Not even an Indian could build a fire in this blizzard without matches. Yeah, the wind is slacking off a bit. Which means it'll get colder. Now we better move on. Sergeant, how about taking off these cuffs? They're freezing to my skin. Look, I'm bleeding on both wrists. Then why don't you take us to that cabin you know about? Want to make that deal? No deal. No deal, no cabin. Then I'm sorry for you, Loring. But the cuffs stay on. Why? What difference can it make? We'll both be dead in two hours anyway. If we are, you'll still be wearing those cuffs, and this gun will still be in my holster. Dead or alive, you'll still be my prisoner. The hardest man in the mountains. Are you ready, Loring? <sighs> sure, why not? I'll let out for a while. Come on, let's go. <laughs>
2: Of all those who dwell in this frozen land, the bleak, cruel spirit of the North is known best to men on the open trail. There, facing the breath of the blizzard, eyes blinded by the driving sleet, a man feels his soul grow small within him. And when that happens, his mind may turn to strange fantasies and to memories of a faraway voice.
10: Can you hear me, Billy?
7: Yes, Jeannie.
10: Everything's going to be all right, Billy. I love you. And everything's going to be all right.
7: Sure, honey.
10: The snow doesn't matter. And the blizzard doesn't matter. They'll be gone soon. And there will be only us.
7: Yeah. I can see you now standing there at the gate.
10: In front of the cottage? That's right, darling. Don't look at the snow and the icy trees and the storm. Look at me instead. See? Yeah.
7: It's spring. And the sunshine.
10: And I'm wearing my hair the way you've always liked it. It's in curls, all tumbling. See, Billy? Yeah, yeah.
5: Oh, Jeannie, Jeannie. Mm-hmm.
7: Brokaw Brokaw, what's the matter? It's held off Tired well, Rest a while You can't lie there like that You'll be asleep in five minutes That'll be the end Thoros How much farther? Four, around 14 Ten miles Come about six altogether mm. your, your hands In pretty bad shape I don't know, Sergeant. I can't feel anything now. Might as well take those cuffs off. Stick out your hands. Thanks, Sergeant. Uh, Here's my gun. How come? I'm through. Beat. I'm giving in, Loring. Take us to that cabin. (laughs) What's wrong with you? You're too late, Sergeant Uh, What do you mean? That cabin's about two miles from where mine was We're over four miles from it now Neither one of us can last another half mile Yeah, I guess you're right Well, looks like you win, Loring. You might call it that It's tough on you, though I was going to die anyway. Oh. Well, we may as well keep moving. Why? This is as good a place as any. I'm not going to stop trying as long as I can move. You can do what you like, Glory. I'm going on.
0: Wait a minute, Sergeant.
7: Uh, if we had a fire and we could get warm for a while, then we could make that cabin without much danger. Yeah, we haven't. Suppose I say the word it'll save both of us and get us out of this. Will you go back to headquarters and tell them I'm dead? No. No, I can't do that. In 12 years of the service, I haven't run up a white flag once. I'm not gonna do it now. Dying or no dying. Duty, huh? Call it whatever you want. We'll make your square offer, though. Pull us out of this, and I'll give you a 24-hour head start as soon as we're both on our feet again. You're all right, Brokaw. Funny, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I could not let you go on down the trail there. you'd stumble into a drift and be dead before you'd made half a mile, and I'd have been safe then. Funny, I don't know why I'd do it. Maybe it's on account of her. What's your plan, Lloyd? Like? What have you got in mind? I'll take the offer of 24 hours, Brokaw. I've got a match. Uh, a match? Yeah, just One. I remember dropping it in my pants pocket yesterday. It's on this side. Maybe you can get to it. Your hands are in better shape than mine. All right. I can't seem to... Yeah. yeah here it is. It's dry, too. Don't drop it. It's the only one. Yeah. We've got to have some branches. Right by. Here. You hold it while I get some off that birch tree. All right. Mash. Mash. Don't drop it, line. Hold it carefully. Yeah, I got it. Uh, The box dry underneath. ought ought to to be all right to start it. That should burn all right. We ought to to have some dry paper just to make sure. I've got some. Hold the match. Uh, Oh, oh, paper wrapped around that photograph. There you are. Hmm. Funny, I was thinking about her when I remembered the match. I guess she's the one that's really going to light this fire. Well, there it is. You want to strike it, or you want me to? You go ahead. My hands are still pretty stiff. All right. You want to have something dry to scratch it on. Huh? There's a gun file in my same pocket. Reach in and get it. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here it is. All right. Well. It's up to her now. All right, Jeannie, strike the match. Oh, Broko. Oh. Brocco! what's the matter? The match. Loring it went out. No. Our only chance and it went out. So that's that. I, I got to get moving. I got to get to Thoreau. Brocco, you can't make it. I got to go on. As long as I'm alive. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Brocco, you don't have a chance. Brocco. It's gone. Well, what's the difference, here or half a mile farther? It's not so bad. It's kind of peaceful, dreamy. So peaceful, it's just like going to sleep.
10: Billy, don't go to sleep, Billy. Wake up.
7: Everything's going to be all right, Jimmy.
10: Wake up, darling. You can't go to sleep. You've got to wake up.
7: Everything's all right.
10: The smoke, Billy. Don't you remember the smoke? Huh? We're going to be together again. Open your eyes. Huh? Together again.
7: Open your eyes. Huh? What? Smoke. The fire. It's burning. The spark from that match must have caught. Jeannie. The fire is burning.
11: The fire...
2: And so one man finds eternal sleep on the frozen breast of the snow, and one man dreams beside a fire, whose tongues of flame are like the red curls of a woman's hair. When the blizzard has stripped the little things away, and the soul of a man stands facing the blast, clean and bare and alone, then what is right and what is wrong? Does justice depend on the striking of a match? Is human destiny only a thing of accident and of chance? Ask the icy voice of the Arctic storm, ask the cold, bleak spirit of the great North Woods.
9: is produced and directed by Norman McDonald and tonight brought to you the match by James Oliver Kerwood adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield with Frank Lovejoy as Billy Wilms Herbert as Sergeant Brokaw Cynthia Corley as Jeannie Nestor Piva as thorn and Clark Cuny as the trooper with Stan Waxman as the narrator the musical score was conducted by Wilbur Hatch <laughs>
0: Listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a nineteen forty-eight episode of Escape entitled The Match. Now stay tuned for a nineteen forty-seven installment of The Whistler. Here is the body off Billingsgate.
13: And now, the whistler's strange story. The body off Billingsgate. It was a grim scene there on the dock at Billingsgate, with the early morning fog swirling eerily around the three figures, bending over the shapeless mass on the planking. The Scotland Yard inspector, the sergeant with his notebook and Peterson, the nervous little fisherman, stammering answers to the inspector's methodical question.
12: Oh, and I say the man's been dead about 12 hours. You got that, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Now, uh, Mr. Peterson, you say you'd moored your boat out there in the river? Well, that's right, Inspector. Uh, about two hours ago it was. Then as I was coming in, in the small boat here, I spotted the body in the water. I see. Nearly right ran into it, I did. Uh... Any idea who he is, Inspector? Looks like an American. Blow on the head, Sergeant. Blunt instrument. Put that down. Yes, Let's have a look in his pockets. Blow on the head. Uh, How do you suppose a poor bloke come to this? Gangster affair, probably. Most of the gangsters seem to end up this way.
11: Hello. What is it, Inspector? A check for
12: 5,000 pounds on the Barclays Bank. Signed by uh, Wilfred Greenwood. Hmm. Stay here and look after things, will you, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Medical examiner will be up shortly. I'm going over to have a talk with the manager of that bank. Yes, sir. Limey, what a way to die. Uh, How do you suppose. You you... heard
11: what the inspector said, man. Blunt instrument.
13: Yes, it was obvious that the man had died as the result of a blow from a blunt instrument. But there was something more important than that, something the inspector was to find out later at Barclays Bank, something which indicated that the most important cause of the man's death was a normally harmless instrument, just an ordinary fountain pen. It had been more than a month before in a fog like this one, that Victor Milton groped cautiously toward the glowing yellow rectangle of an outdoor telephone booth in the murky darkness, listening.
11: Yes, operator, I want to put through a trunk call to London, please.
13: That's right. Hurry it along, will you? No hurry, John.
7: Victor! Cancel the call. Hang up. What the deuce? Vic, I didn't know you were in Leeds. I thought you... I thought I was in London, I know. Who are you calling? Oh, uh,
2: just a a friend, Vic.
7: Don't hand me that. You're the boy who's been tipping off the opposition, aren't you, Greenwood? You're wrong, Vic. I've nothing to do with it. Two this. weeks since you joined the organization. Two weeks since the other mob's been knocking off our trucks. Funny coincidence, isn't it? No, no, no. Wait a minute, Vic. I can explain. You can all... begin by telling me who you were calling in London. I told you, just a friend. Quit stalling. I got a train to catch. Who was it, John? You better talk, or I'll No, you won't. Drop it. Drop that gun. Tell me who you were.
5: Calling enough! No.
7: I won't tell you, Vic. I'll kill you. Give me. Get your back ah. There. There, that's better. Vic, don't do it. Don't!
13: And that's how it began, Victor. Yeah. With a young man named John Greenwood dead at your feet at a public telephone booth in Leeds. You bend down quickly, take his wallet and gun, and hurry off into the night. It's three blocks to the railroad station, and the train's due in five minutes. You stop for a moment on a bridge over a canal near the station. Drop in the gun and wallet, and then hurry up onto the station platform.
7: Uh, puppy, puppy in here.
3: This way, Tuppy. Okay. Got it. Oh. Ooh.
7: Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, thanks. Thanks a million. Oh,
14: you're not Tuppy. Uh, tuppy? I must sound awfully silly. It's a family nickname for my brother. I thought you were Tuppy, you see. He was never on time for a train in his life. Well,
7: I'm I'm sorry to
12: disappoint you. Oh,
14: it's not that at all. It's
12: uh, well... Uh, if you'd be good enough to sit down, I shouldn't wonder if I could start reading my paper.
14: Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize we were in your life. Yeah, light. sure.
7: Sure, go ahead. We'll sit down over here. Uh, thank you.
12: <laughs> <laughs>
7: well, who's the old boy? <laughs> Colonel Blimp?
11: Shh. You hear you?
7: <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? You never know who you'll run into in a fog. Colonel Blimp or... Oh, what? An angel from the first cloud on the left.
14: You Americans always come straight to the point, don't
7: you? (laughs) (laughs) How did you know I was an American? Oh,
14: the way you talk.
7: Oh, now, wait a minute. I've only been here for two weeks, but I've been working hard. I say bowler instead of derby, (laughs) petrol instead of gas.
14: You're as bad as Tuppy. He wants to sound like an American and can't pull it off either. I do wish he'd got here.
7: You're not worried, are you?
14: No, but he promised to ride to London with me to see Father. It's my first trip to town in almost a year, you see. I've been at school in Leeds and... Oh, dear, I must sound like an awful chatterbox.
7: Oh, not at all. What's your brother doing in Leeds?
14: He's just taken on a new job. Commercial traveler. paints, hardware, that sort of thing. He's young, of course, and a little irresponsible. But he'll settle down. No danger of Tuppy's turning into a spiv.
7: A uh, spiv?
12: Yes, you see, a spiv is a... a well, it, it... It's a new word in our vocabulary, sir. An unfortunate addition, I might add. Oh, how do you mean, Colonel? Uh, Captain... Sorry. It's quite all right. A uh, spiv, sir, uh, does no work, uh, pays no taxes, produces nothing of value, yet flourishes like the green bay tree. Black Mark is hijacking the sewer. Shameful thing, shameful.
14: Well, now you know what a spiv is.
7: Serves <laughs> <turns> me right. <laughs> <laughs> When did we get to London?
14: Around midnight. Oh,
7: wonderful! I'll see you home.
14: Oh, I, I couldn't. Really. Oh,
7: not another word now. After all, I have to do something useful now and then. What do you think I am? A, a <laughs> Here you are, Governor
12: King's Road. You really
14: shouldn't have gone to all this trouble. My
7: dear young lady, it's after midnight. The fog's as bad here as it was in Leeds. Uh, That'll be ten bob. Okay, here you are, driver.
13: Careful in the fork now.
14: It's a bad I'm certainly grateful to you. It's the first time I've been here, you see. Father just moved in last week. Oh, I see.
7: Well, think your father's still up?
14: I'll be insulted if he isn't. He knows I'm coming.
7: Hillary! Father! Oh, it's so good to have you home, my dear. And Toppy? Oh, uh, I'm afraid I. Toppy missed the train, Father. I thought I'd better see your daughter home, sir. It's a little late for her to be out alone. Well, uh, uh, thank you, young man. Uh, come in, come in, won't you? Oh, thank you. Now, uh, Hillary, don't you think you'd better... Oh, the telephone. Uh, make yourself at home, will you? Hillary, I'm sure the young man can do the spot of brandy. Well, oh, now, see here, it's pretty late. Perhaps well, I'd nonsense. better be go. You heard what Father said. Ah, uh, trunk call from Leeds. That must be Tuffy with some excuse or other. Don't be too harsh with
14: him, Father. Do you prefer brandy no. or whiskey, mister? Yes,
5: yes.
14: <laughs> Good heavens, you know, I don't even know your name. <laughs> We've come all this way and we haven't even been introduced.
7: <laughs> I'm sorry. My name's Milton, Victor Milton. Well,
14: how do you do, Mr. Milton? I'm Hillary.
7: How do you yes. do? Yes, I'm listening, officer.
14: What is it, Father? What's the matter?
7: I see. Identification from the coat? Yes. Yes, yes, I'll catch the first train north. Thank you. Thank you very much. Goodbye.
14: Father, what's happened? Is it Tuppy?
7: That was the police up in Leeds.
14: He's not in another scraple.
7: Not anymore. He's dead, Hillary. What? His body was found in the fog by a telephone booth. Been robbed.
14: I, I can't believe it. Oh,
7: I'm awfully sorry. I guess you too want to be alone. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you for seeing Hillary home, Mr. Milton. If there's anything I can do. Awfully kind of you, Mr. Milton. Our name is Greenwood. Greenwood? Uh, Wilfred Greenwood. My son was was John. John Greenwood. You always called him Tuppy,
14: robbed, but why would anyone rob him? He never had anything he
7: never i uh, I think it was something <laughs> else, Hilary, and I'm going to find out who killed him if it's the last thing I do.
13: It's a terrible shock, isn't it, Victor? The knowledge that the man you killed in Leeds was the brother of the girl you met riding up to London. John Greenwood, Hillary's brother. And it's hard for you to believe that her brother could be like that. That he could be the son of an obviously influential and respectable citizen like Wilfred Greenwood. But that's the way it is, Victor. A thing that might happen once in a million times has happened to you. It unnerves you, doesn't it? but not enough to destroy your role as innocent stranger. They haven't the slightest reason to suspect Victor, and you decide that their friendship might be valuable. You send flowers and condolences to John Greenwood's funeral, then wait a few days before telephoning Hillary. Oh,
14: hello, Mr. Milton. Thank you so much for the flowers.
13: Oh, I'm
7: sorry I couldn't do more to help. But I realize that at such a time... You've
14: been most thoughtful. Father appreciates it.
7: I, uh, I read about some flowers, uh, this morning in the Times. Oh? Yes, the carnations are blooming in Hyde Park. Say, I'll bet you haven't been out in the fresh air for a week.
14: Well, as a matter of
7: fact... You haven't.
14: That's right,
7: only... You know, I think a stroll through the park or perhaps some boating would be just a thing for you.
14: Well, I... I think so, too, Mr. Milton. I'd like very much to go. It is restful out here, Mr. Milton. I do feel relaxed now.
7: That was the general idea.
14: (laughs) But it's your expense. Aren't you tired of rowing?
7: Oh, not at all. And I can use the exercise. I don't
14: believe it. Though if you're anything like father, you
7: Too involved in business?
14: You're all the same.
7: Oh, no. No, I don't overdo it.
14: Father does. Lately, anyway. Tell the truth, Mr. Milton. I'm worried about him. Oh? He's taken Tuppy's. John's death so hard. I really didn't expect him to be this way. John always got into scrapes, and Father's been so very proper. There were times when they had real differences. Father's so hurt by it that...
7: Haven't... Haven't the police any idea who shot your brother?
14: No. But Father won't give up.
7: I wish I could help some way.
14: You've done a lot already, Mr. Milton.
7: Make it, Victor, will you?
14: All right, then. Victor.
7: Victor. <laughs> That's better. Much better.
13: Yes, Victor, it's going well. And as you continue to see Hillary during the days that follow, you begin to feel more secure. Knowing the friendship of influential people like the Greenwoods makes everything solid. The suite at the Carlton, the office in Oxford Street, your pose as the enterprising young American businessman... Yes, Hillary will solve some problems, but not all of them. What's wrong, Ernie? What's holding us up? Money.
12: They got two of our trucks again last night on the Great North Road. Suiting materials, tweeds, worsteds, close to 4,000 pounds. Oh, I'd like to know who's tipping them off. Oh, could be anyone. They've got a man on every corner. There's no getting away from them. We need money, huh? Yeah, quick.
7: All right, Ernie. All right, I'll get it. Who do you know over here? while well, you're just... I said I'd get it. Never mind how. All I need is a little time. You like it here, Hillary?
14: It's heaven.
7: Well, that's because you're here in my arms.
14: It, it's sweet of you to say that.
7: What are we waiting for, Hillary?
14: I... I don't know, Vic.
7: It's the first cloud on the left, and we're sitting right on it. Together.
14: I never want to let you get away.
7: Would you. would you think it strange if I proposed right here on the dance floor?
14: Well, Vic, you shouldn't. What will father. He
7: won't object. And what if he does?
14: I, I don't know.
7: Oh, we've wasted too much time already, Hillary. Let, let's do it. Let's elope. When? Right now. Darling, we can't... Oh, yes, we can. I've already got the special license. Well, Oh, Hillary, Hillary, please, please.
14: We can talk about it on the way. On the way? Yes, darling. After all, you can't expect me to be married without my hat and coat.
7: Well... Well, go ahead, Mrs. Milton. Ring the bell. I, I feel
14: so nervous now that we're back, Vic. I, I don't know how to face Father.
7: <laughs> why so jittery? He's all prepared. You wired him, dear.
14: I know, but... <laughs>
7: here, here. I'll ring. Come on. Chin up, darling.
14: I don't know why I'm acting like this. Hello, Father.
7: Well, Hillary, you did get back. And you, Victor, married to my daughter? That's right, sir. Well... What are we standing here for? Come in, you two. I've had the champagne on ice ever since I got your
5: wire. Father, you darling. <laughs> I must
7: say, Victor, you Americans don't let any grass grow under your feet. Well, so with a curl like Hillary. Oh, it's all right, my boy. I'm pleased. <laughs> You must know that by now. Uh, The quality of the champagne certainly says something, Mr. Greenwood. (laughs) Good. Ah, but it doesn't say nearly enough. Now, come over here. Both of you to my desk. Now, uh, now where's my checkbook?
14: Oh, now, Father, we really didn't expect Oh,
7: never mind now, dear. I haven't any family heirlooms to pass along, but my (laughs) bank account can certainly stand a substantial present to both of you.
14: You only embarrass me.
5: Oh,
7: where are my glasses, Hillary? Mr. Greenwood. Hillary's right. We, uh, oh, okay. here, here, here. I can't see without them. Vic, you make out the check.
5: But, sir, oh, go
7: I... on, go on now. You
14: may as well do it, darling. He always gets his way.
7: Well, all right. Uh, uh, what's the date?
14: Darling, our wedding day. How can you forget? It's October
7: 11th. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm all mixed up today, darling. October 11th, 1947. Oh, now, let me see. Um, October... It's the 10th month, isn't it? That's right. Mm-hmm. 10, 11, 47. Uh, who shall I make it out to, Mr. Greenwood? Call me Dad, won't you? And uh, make it payable to yourself, of course. You'll be the man of the house, I hope. Found my glasses yet, Hillary? I
14: don't see them anywhere.
7: Pay to the order of Victor... Milton? 5,000 pounds. Ha! 5,000 pounds. You sound like you don't believe me, Ernie. I'll feel better
12: when I see it. Skip it.
7: You better keep your eyes on the road. If they hijack us again tonight, we're through. How much farther to Leeds?
12: Ten miles. The boys are meeting us at the warehouse and the... Uh, crikey! What's the matter? Look up ahead. It's a roadblock. Gun it up. I can't. Give her the gas, I said. The load's too heavy. We'll tip over. Who is it? Do you know them? It's them again. The same ones. I know that lorry of theirs. Let the truck go, then. Let it go. Jump and run for it. No, Vic. We ain't got a chance, Vic! <laughs>
7: What's the idea? Where are we? Keep moving, mate. Uh, What did you do to Ernie? Keep moving. Nice bunch of guys. Pulling me off my own truck. Slapping a blindfold on me. Driving me for miles. Maybe you'll wish it was further. All right. Hold it here, mate. Come in. Where did you find him? He jumped off the truck when we held it up. All right, mate. You can take off that blindfold. Here, I'll do it. Fine thing. Shoving a guy around like...
13: What the... Vic!
5: Mr. Greenwood.
13: For a moment, you can't believe it, can you, Victor? That you're standing face to face with your new father-in-law, Wilfred Greenwood. It it can't be. That, that there must be some mistake yes. he's... There's up... no mistake he was on the truck. He said
7: it was his. I see. All right. Go back to the truck.
5: But, uh, uh... I'll
7: take care of him. Give us an hour, alone. Righto. So, Pop, you're in this racket, too, huh? You're the guy that's been hijacking my trucks. It was you, Vic. You killed John. I don't know what you're talking about. I've had men working on my son's murder ever since he was killed, and I told them to bring me the man who did it, no matter who he was. They brought you Victor, and they don't make mistakes. Yeah, simple as that, huh? Of course, Mr. Greenwood, now that I'm your son-in-law... Hillary is better off rid of you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't shoot me without... You didn't wait for it when it was John. No, Vic, I... You're doing nothing.
5: Oh, let, let go! Uh,
7: give me that gun. Give it to me. There. That's <laughs> better, Mr. Greenwood... What are you going to do? I haven't much choice. Oh, you won't get away with it, Vic. My men will be back here in an hour. I can get lost in England in less than an hour. You'll never stop running. I'll be alive, Greenwood, and with enough money to run a long ways, thanks to you. What? Your check for 5,000 pounds. Vic, you did kill him, my son, didn't you? Yes, yeah, I killed him. Thought you were smart planting him in my gang as a stool pigeon. Yes, I killed him, and I'll even show you how. No.
1: No, Vic! (laughs) Vic!
7: Yes, sir. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to cash this check, please. Very
11: well, sir. Oh, Mr. Greenwood's check. Pay to the order of Victor Milton, £5,000.
7: Yes, I'm uh, his
11: son in law. Of course. All right, Mr. Milton. If you'll wait just a moment, I'm sure we can honor it for you.
13: the man discovered by the fisherman at Billingsgate died from a blow by a blunt instrument, according to the records at Scotland Yard. But in a strange way, the real cause of his death was the stroke of a fountain pen on a scrap of paper. If another man had held the pen, the victim might never have died. But the fatal pen marks could never be erased or changed. They were still there on that check for 5,000 pounds found in the dead man's pocket. Signed by Wilfred Greenwood. Even 12 hours in the cold water of the Thames River hadn't blurred a line. The Scotland Yard inspector waited quietly... as the cashier at Barclays Bank examined the check carefully.
11: I say the check is wet, Inspector.
13: Yes,
12: the man is made out to this. Victor Milton was found dead at Billingsgate Dock a few hours ago. Oh, I see. A suicide, Inspector? Hardly. Gangster affair, I'd say. Revenge for something the bloke had done... You've uh, seen that check before? Oh, yes.
11: Only yesterday, Mr. Milton was in trying to cash it, Inspector. We had to refuse him, of course. Well, why is that? I felt quite badly. He acted so strangely, almost desperate. I dare say he was. It seems he'd written the check himself for Mr. Greenwood to sign, but he postdated it. I explained that the check couldn't clear for another month. He postdated it? Yes, it was dated 10 11 47. You see, he was obviously an American, and they write a date differently than we do. They put the month first and the day next, while here in England, of course, we put the day first and the month second. Then this check he wrote? Is just reversed. He meant to indicate October the 11th, but actually, in writing 10-11, he made it November 10th. So, just a difference in cluster. That's right. But I had to tell him we couldn't honor the check until a month from now. Strange fellow, you know. He seemed so anxious to have the money. But when I suggested he have Mr. Greenwood write him another check, he didn't say a word. Just looked at me and walked out.
13: in tonight's story were Wally Mayer and Alma Lawton. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen, with story by Leslie Edgley, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service.
0: You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We have just heard a 1947 episode of The Whistler, The Body Off Billingsgate do we have time for one more jam? Here's Stan Kenton and Nat King Cole in 1950. Jambo! (laughs) Uh <laughs> Jambo! That was Stan Kenton and his orchestra featuring Nat King Cole on the piano from 1950. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week!
8: Joan Loudon, a.k.a. The Bass Lady. Join me for Jazz Potpourri, airing Wednesdays from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., with a repeat on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. From divas to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP,
9: Eastport. I'm about that hey, have I got a radio show for you. Bold Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4, right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music, uh, we like to talk about it a little bit too. It's music and commentary, it's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means.
8: Mad Pad. Mad Pad.
9: Mad Pad. Tune in every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkables Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine. on your FM dial.
10: Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad.
0: You are listening to WSHDLP Esport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shedd High School. Tune in Mondays, 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m. And if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure.
1: Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor. No schmutz from the night before. Just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz. But by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHD LP
5: Eastport.